Hebrews 5. In the second portion of our time together, we covered last week the first section of chapter 5, that is verses 1 through 4, and then we'll continue with 5 and going forward this morning. Thinking of the big picture here, again, of how to walk through the text, yet step back so that we can appreciate the big picture of what is taking place and its application to us. We are a people who demand a promise made to be a promise kept. We demand that. If you need an example, which there are ample in your own life, if you consider in the largest headlines now where we demand a promise made to be a promise kept, consider the headlines in the news. If you like your insurance, you can keep it. Right. So then we run, and, 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 we, and the news is full of talking about promise made, promise not kept. And then we're told what that means for you. And then we're created in all kinds of hysteria for all of us about how promises are broken. Can you believe that? Promises. They're broken. A lot. Yet we take a posture as people. We demand promises made to be promises kept. And we execute those who don't in the media. And then on the other hand, we uh, calm down, humbly do some self-examination. And then we think, have I kept all my promises? We're a people who are a case study in promises broken. That is, if you consider from the divorce rate, whatever it is, it's hard to pin down. It's not accurate. That one in two marriages fail seems to be quite inaccurate. Um, the divorce rate continues to decline, but it's because people are declining in marriage. So who knows what's actually occurring? All we do know is a lot of people are breaking their promises to stay together. And all of us probably have that experience somewhere within our own family, and maybe some of us are even struggling with that within our own marriages. Promises broken. Go from something as severe and as hurtful as divorce and you can move to something much simpler like a meeting that you were supposed to attend or that you told somebody that you'd be at. Some baseline connection with someone else and you just don't make it. Promise made, word given, and promise broken. Smaller disciplines go beyond just that of connecting with other individuals, that of your spouse, or that of just a friend, someone you're meeting with, an appointment, an employee-employer relationship, and move over just to your own personal heart in the matter, in your walk with the Lord. I won't ask for a raise of hands. That always gets awkward. But thinking 2014 is going to be the year for me of and insert oftentimes in our own legal manner a spiritual discipline of some kind. That we're, we're, we're by, uh, you know, the Lord's help, sure. But we're going to do it. Uh, that is, we're going to wake up and do whatever those disciplines are. Let's say scripture reading. That tends to be one that we all sign up for in January 1. Now we're already 22 chapters behind. You were supposed to read like 10 last night. Uh, after service, you are 16 more. So... It is that we find, we demand that a promise may be a promise kept, yet we are ourselves a case study of promises made not kept. 
that should deeply instruct us that God is a God who is promise made, promise kept. Our frailty and our feebleness in setting out to do what we commit to do instructs us we need someone greater than ourselves. Because we can't, by our own strength, produce enough courage, give enough security because of the weakness and the frailty of our own word. We need the word and the guarantee of another in order to actually have courage in living, peace and security in difficulty. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes, that is their amen, their completion, in Him. Don't quickly go by that. Consider the Old Covenant ministry types of ministry, the prophets in their ministry, the kings in their ministry, the priests in their ministry, the entire law given to the people of God. All the promises that God has made. Not one of them was lost. All of them find their yes, their point of completion, their solid anchor guarantee in Him, Christ Jesus. This is what our text will instruct us, that God is a God who keeps his promises. This will produce, it, it, by faith as we look to him as the object of our faith, as we look to him, this will produce courage for living. Produce security and peace because we're not dependent upon our own promise-keeping capabilities. And praise the Lord, he is not like us. He keeps his promises, all of them. And this text is a demonstration of that. As we compare Aaron and the promises made through Aaron in the priesthood and the promises kept in Christ, our great high priest. Look at the text with me beginning in verse 5. Well, jump back with me in the thought of verse 4 so you can just see how he's making his argument here. The apostle is arguing, again, that God is a promise made, is a promise kept. As he outlines all of the requirements for every single high priest, he comes to verse 4 in his argument and says, and no one takes this honor for himself. Speaking of the priesthood of what we looked at last week, and we'll kind of pick up his argument a little bit again this morning. No no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. 
just as, and here's his final argument of what he's been laboring to explain to us about the priesthood, verse 1 to verse 4. And then he says, here is the prime example. No one, uh, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Conclusion argument one, just as Aaron was. Exhibit A, promise made, promise seen, right, through the Levitical priesthood. All that he outlined in verses 1 through 4 is true, just as Aaron was. Exhibit A, promise made. It transitions to promise kept. Verse 5. So also, Christ. So, in a brief review, look at verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. This is their work. Appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is what the priest is doing. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ. You see? Everything that is required of a high priest, everything God established and required in the priesthood, is fulfilled in Christ. So also, Christ. Everything that is required of every high priest is true of Jesus. Promise made in Aaron, promise kept in Christ. I want to consider those requirements in terms of the promise made and the promise kept and the requirements of every high priest. We started last week by outlining what this description is or the requirements are for every single high priest. I want to pick up with that from the promise made in the first five verses of what is required of the priest and so also Christ, that is, everything here transitions into everything here in its fulfillment. So yes, great under Aaron, fulfilled in Christ. And we're going to see, here's the requirements, verses 1 through 5. So also, requirements fulfilled in Christ. Because a promise made by God is a promise kept. So, if right now you're struggling which is thinking God is a bit indifferent to your burdens. Struggling with where to take them. Frustrated with life. I, you know, from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, we go through a lot of different situations and circumstances. By the time we stumble in on Lord's Day, there can be a bit of a need to reorient. Uh, get get our compass set. And that's a labor. It is difficult to think times of loneliness, worthlessness. Does God care? We sang a song earlier um, that wonders to feel 
the, the, the language errors of the heart, that it wonders to feel its own hardness to depart. Have you ever experienced that? It, you want that freedom, that mercy, and that grace that you sang about. You want that hardness on your own heart to depart. And struggle with where do I take it? How do I communicate it? And then you kind of find yourself in a place where, does God even care about my hardness? I do. I'm hurt by it. I hate it. But I feel so lonely in it. This text demonstrates that God does care. And that he has done all that is necessary for the hardness of your own heart to depart. that he has made promises and he has kept them. And Christ is your great high priest, not today, just yesterday, or just today, but every day. You are a priest for how long? Forever. So all that God has declared is true and is kept. The requirements of every high priest, that as we can see, we can, we can take all of our cares, concerns, and emotions to a God who loves us and has demonstrated that love in his own son, who now stands as our great high priest, interceding on our behalf. The requirements of every high priest, number one, so also Christ. Number one, the requirement of every high priest, as we looked last week, was that they be marked by humility. Remember, with Aaron, look at verse one. How do we see humility as a requirement of priesthood? Under the promise made. God gave us men in this ministry. Verse one, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. He can deal. Look at his humility as he offers these sacrifices for sin. He's marked by humility, verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Because in ministering, he recognizes he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice. In what manner? For his own sins, his own weaknesses, just as he does for those that he serves. He is appointed to this ministry in accordance with the requirements of every single priest. Both Aaron, so also Jesus, is a man marked by humility. You see, look at verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself. You see the humility. He's appointed. He is called. He doesn't aspire, say, I'm going to do this and be this man. He is appointed. No one takes this honor for himself. Verse 2, a mark of humility. He recognizes in his service, in his ministry, his own weaknesses. So also Jesus, marked by that same humility in verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. 
So there is a shared description of humility between Aaron and Jesus in their call to worship the people of God. This is important. As we look upon Christ, we consider Jesus, that his humility, though it be shared with Aaron, it goes well beyond that of Aaron or any other high priest called to serve the people of God. This is where it builds in his argument that the humility of Christ is far greater than the humility of Aaron. A humility that we are to appreciate. A humility by which we have been saved. Not for the year 2014, but forever. Not in another day of atonement that we'll revisit maybe in July, but forever in a definitive moment of atonement for the sins of the people. This is humility that goes far beyond that of any other high priest. Notice how, in the second requirement that is shared between Aaron and promise made, yet in fulfillment with promise kept, Christ is also, like Aaron, a human. That seems quite obvious as we looked last week that verse 1, for every high priest chosen from among men, that is, he is a man. As we looked last week, there couldn't be an angelic being that stands in on our behalf. It cannot be some other creature that stands in eternally on our behalf. It has to be someone who shares our nature. We're given that in the promise made with Aaron. We see that picture. Here is a man called by God to intercede for the people of God. He is a man chosen from among men. So also Christ is a man marked by humility. Consider Jesus' humanity in light of his ministry as high priest. He shared with Aaron humility, and he shares with Aaron humanity, yet his humanity is utterly unique from that of Aaron's. Let me describe how. When speaking of Aaron, the two requirements that we are covering at this point of every single high priest of God, two requirements so far, number one, humility, and number two, humanity. When we consider Aaron, these two requirements are separate. Right? Let me explain. Aaron, by being human, does not mean that he is automatically humble. Do you have that experience in your own life? Being human doesn't automatically mean you're humble. So also, with Aaron. He is a man who has been appointed by God to serve in this task. No man takes that honor for himself. And we find in this picture of Aaron as a high priest under the Old Covenant, a man marked by humility. He knows his own weaknesses in serving the people of God. Now, he is not the one who receives the lamb on the Day of Atonement. And he says, wow, that would be a struggle to be someone like you. I'll go in according to purification law make atonement for this. No. He is a man who also recognizes his own weaknesses. But just because he's alive doesn't mean he notices his own weaknesses. These are separate categories. Humanity, 
a man chosen among men, and humility, a man chosen among men who must be humble. Separate categories. Yet, consider Jesus. The very act of being made man is itself the fullness of humility. Though we share in humanity like Aaron, his humanity, the Son of God, his humanity is itself an act of humility. Whereas with Aaron, humanity and humility are separate categories. In Christ, they are one in the same. Humanity and humility are identical for Jesus. Consider what this means then for God's promise kept in Christ and his promise made through Aaron. We looked last week at his promise that was made in Aaron's ministry. If I could read it for you as I've jotted it down, considering the old covenant promise made through Aaron, what we were given in the priesthood. Why am I going over this yet again? Consider this group here in the first century receiving this document is struggling with going back under the ministry of the old covenant going under the old covenant promises made. And the writer, the apostle, is laboring to say, the promises have been kept. And it isn't under the old covenant ministries. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can atone for your sins. He alone can intercede on your behalf. He himself, God made flesh, is the man of humility. To go back to anything less than Christ for your confidence, for your peace, for your security is apostasy. You're turning your back on the Son of God to go back to anything else. Consider Jesus. Everything that was required has found its fulfillment in Jesus. So the old covenant promise that was made under Aaron is like this. A man, a man of humility and a means for atonement will lovingly be provided for a sinful people. Can I read for you from Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement? This is the description of the promise that was made. You don't have to turn there. I'll simply read the text for you. This is in view in this entire argument is Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. This is a promise made to the people of God that a man of humility and a means for atonement will lovingly be provided to a sinful people. I read for you Leviticus 16 beginning in verse uh, 30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. You see the promises made. You will be cleansed. Verse 31. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. You shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. Listen to the description 
of the priest. He will wear the holy linen garments. Consider Christ. The garments of righteousness. Verse 33. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Promise made. A man of humility and a means for atonement will lovingly be provided for a sinful people. New covenant promise kept. Let me ask you. Are you one who considers yourself a sinful individual? A sinner in need of atonement? One whose faults are evident before yourself? Perhaps shared through a series of promises made and not kept faults are seen through others. That's pretty universal in here, isn't it? Let me read for you yet again then, promise made. A man of humility and a means for atonement will lovingly be provided for a sinful people. New covenant promise kept. The man of humility and the means for atonement lovingly provided for a sinful people merged together in my own dear son. That's good news, isn't it? If we agree that we are the sinful people, in need of humility and redemption, restoration, reconciliation, propitiation, justification. The man of humility and the means for atonement, lovingly provided for a sinful people, has merged together. It's not a lamb and a man of humility, but these have merged together into one in my own dear son. This is evident from the proclamation in John's Gospel by John the Baptist, as Jesus was coming in the opening of the gospel, he states this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
I remind you here from promise made under Aaron, a man will come. A man is provided. A means is provided. 2 Corinthians 1.20, what I read for you in the introduction. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Promise made is evident. A promise kept by God. So, Christ fulfilled all that was necessary for becoming our high priest before God through actionable service in two ways. I just want to show you from the text how Christ accomplished becoming our high priest in the promise being kept by the Son of God. He accomplished all that was necessary for becoming our high priest before God through actionable service in two ways. Number one, actionable service to the Father. Notice what Christ went through, that the hardness of your own heart would depart, that you'd experience restoration, confidence, peace, redemption. Look what Christ has done. Verse 5, so also Christ not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but in actionable service to the Father was appointed by him who said to him, here is the Father speaking to the Son as mediator, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 6, as he says also in another place, you, the Father to the Son, you are a priest for how long? Forever. After the order of Melchizedek. We will begin as the argument will take shape throughout the letter here about this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. I won't work on that this morning with you as is not our purpose to dissect who was Melchizedek as the argument will be cited yet again and again and again. So we will look at the man Melchizedek this morning. What I want to show you is again, promise made, promise kept in this structure of what God says he will surely also do it. Jesus fulfilled all that was necessary by actionable service to the Father to become our high priest. That is, if we could just look at you are my son and you are a priest forever, these two prophetic proclamations are fulfilled through Jesus submitting to the Father in the one covenant of redemption. These prophetic proclamations, how do I handle them? Right here in this text, I see that they are fulfilled, both of them, that you are my son and that you are a priest forever are fulfilled through Jesus submitting to the Father in the one covenant of redemption. This submission would also require, verse 7, days of flesh for him. That God would become man. And as a man, he would fulfill the suffering servant, obedient to the Father, to be your sacrifice and your high priest. These prophetic proclamations are fulfilled through Jesus' submission to the Father in the one covenant of redemption. He would, in the days of his flesh, become the obedient son and suffering servant. He would then remain forever 
as God's appointed high priest. To put this in context, here is it says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If we were to consider the argument here, why is this so significant an argument, even at face value, to the original readers? Well, in the first century context here, uh, the high priest, who they were considering going back under the regime of the old covenant promises made, by this time they have completely lost their significance. The priests we know by biblical promise made were to be appointed by God. It said so right in the first portion of the argument that he already labored at. At this point, in their historical context, the high priest was nothing more than a political appointee by Herod. How could you, how then could you go unto him for atonement? He is a political appointee. We know every high priest is to be appointed by God not put in office by a godless power. Jesus is appointed by God a priest forever. Consider Jesus, the man of promise kept. He was obedient the submission of the Father and the covenant of redemption. Actionable service to the Father to accomplish all that is necessary in becoming our high priest. Secondly, and lastly, Christ fulfilled all that was necessary for becoming our high priest in actionable service for us. So in actionable service to the Father as he received the appointment of sonship to take on flesh and to rise and be a high priest forever, yet it came through the corridor of the cross. That is his actionable service for us. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Do you see if you look up there the argument that he's making from verse 1? The priest who acts in relationship to God offers, do you see there? He offers gifts and sacrifices here. Christ is the gift and the sacrifice. He is the lamb and the priest. So Jesus, in verse 7, he offered up in himself prayers and supplications because he is the offering and the gift. Knowing that, Look at his challenge. He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. If we pair verse 7 and verse 8 together and we look at how he's arguing there, he learned obedience as he suffered. 
crying out in prayers and supplications on his behalf to him who is able to save him from death. His learning obedience in that hour through suffering is his submission to the Father's redemptive will. Because he knows he who is able to save him from death is belief in the resurrection. He did not turn back. Does God care? Does he love me? Can he cure feelings of worthlessness? Can he give me meaning? Does he want to give me meaning? Does he know that I'm even here? Is he aware of where I'm going through? Look at the corridor of the cross of what he went through for sinners. I don't think we could look at this text and be fair to suggest he doesn't care or he doesn't know or he isn't different to my cause or he is insufficient for the hardness of my own heart to depart. Knowing what he was enduring he offered up prayers and supplications to him who would raise him from the dead. And he learned obedience through what he suffered. Resisting the temptation to turn away from the cross. He offered up prayers with tears and loud cries. I think sometimes we can think of the cross as like it was, it was necessary that God would send the Son and the Son would go through the cross and then he would raise. And we kind of read it backwards. Just like Job. Well, we know that Job is restored and he gets everything back and so we can kind of like filter the narrative that way because we know the end. And we can forget what Job really went through because he didn't know the outcome. Maybe we deal with the cross that way. And we miss the humanity that is involved in God being made flesh with tears and suffering to be your great high priest. That when you have tears and you have suffering, when you have weakness, you look to the heavens to one who does not have weakness, but is without sin, yet not indifferent, empathetic, truly great high priest. Because of this, he was raised and is, verse 9, the source of eternal salvation to all who will obey him. Consider Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will strengthen us to consider the great 
humility and humanity of Christ, the corridor of the cross on our behalf, that we might experience His grace and His mercy in our time of need. We don't have one who does not understand or is indifferent, but we have the Son of God who became flesh to destroy and deliver, to restore and renew. I pray for everyone here, myself included, Lord, we are your people. Restore us. To any heart that is here that is broken, let them consider Jesus. Look to he who has lived and has died on their behalf and is the source of their salvation, who now lives to intercede on their behalf with grace and mercy. They would not feel shame but renewal. We thank you for giving us Jesus Christ, your Son. Renew us in joy to your salvation. In his name who intercedes right now on our behalf, I do pray. Amen.